Hi, everybody. Welcome to the PR Masters podcast series. I'm Mark Stevens, your host. I'm also managing partner of the Stevens Group, a leading facilitator of mergers and acquisitions in the PR and digital interactive space. The PR Masters podcast honors living legends in our profession, individuals who have made a mark in the world of public relations. And our guest today is right in that category. Our guest today is Michael Nyman, who is the founder and CEO of Acceleration Community of Companies. Michael Nyman has made a career by being on the leading edge of marketing trends. And with this latest venture, Acceleration Community of Companies, ACC, he's created another way to go to market strategy. After establishing a new marketing approach in the early 90s to merge the world of brands and entertainment, Nyman, the former longtime PMK BNC co-chairman and CEO, pivoted his firm in 2010 to focus on harnessing expertise with popular culture and entertainment as a way for their brand clients to differentiate themselves and better connect with their consumers. As chairman and CEO of PMK BNC, Michael was the architect behind one of the world's most influential communications and marketing firms and led the historic merger of his previous firm, Bragman Nyman Caffarelli, with a renowned entertainment publicity powerhouse, PMK, in the fall of 2009. And now with ACC, Michael is developing a new go-to market business approach with a series of strategic and complementary acquisitions, including MKG, which is a leading creative agency specializing in brand experiences, Pink Sparrow, a design and fabrication shop, Stripe Theory, a data and analytics agency, and additionally, ACC has a brand advisory unit, a consultancy aimed at providing clients and central point for integration and customization. Michael has a 30-year background in the world of public relations and marketing communications, and he started his own firm, which I indicated was Bragman Nyman Caffarelli, long ago with uh, founder Howard Bragman and co-founder Brad Seffarelli. So Michael has been on the leading edge of both culture, art, entertainment, business, and brands. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome Michael Nyman to another edition of PR Masters. And Michael, thank you for joining us today. And how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Art. Thanks for having me. It's always uncomfortable to sit and listen to someone wax on poetically about about, uh, about yourself, uh, but but I'll take it. I really appreciate you uh, having me here today. Well, you are a true pioneer in, in our industry, and, and you're, you're somebody we've wanted to have on PR Masters for quite a while now, and thank you for joining us. So the first question I wanted to ask you, Michael, is that you're, you are considered one of the greats in entertainment PR. How did you get into it originally? Well... It's uh, it's it's uh, a little convoluted, you know. I grew up in Los Angeles, but unlike many folks who grow up in 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 LA and are sort of part or born into the world of entertainment, into the world of Hollywood, I was I was not that I was not that kid. I um, was always interested in uh, different forms of entertainment, but I was uh, you know more of a classic, uh, you know kid that just sort of 
gave his best effort in school and participated in in sports and was a, a good middle child and minded my own business and really just put my head down and I found myself uh, at USC as a um, uh, uh, as a student and really was focusing in on the world of communications and public relations and doing every internship I could get my hands on. And, um, and, and in doing so through the internships, through four years of working through school, I just met a, a lot of people. And as, as luck would have it in my senior year, I found myself getting a springtime interview with, uh, at the time, the largest PR firm in the city, Rogers & Cowan. And I, you know, thought I had a great interview, but I had no job opportunity. It was, I think, April or May back then. And uh, took another job, a project working on with the corporate consultant on a project in downtown L.A. around uh, real estate development. And in August, I got a call, which is a classic call, less so today, I guess, because of computers, the fact that it was come on in, I've got your resume sitting on my desk. And I thought uh, there may be an opportunity for you. And I walked in and I met with this, this, uh, the head of the corporate division at the time or the number two guy at Rogers and Cowan saying, uh, I liked you and maybe I'm making a, a stupid mistake since you're right out of college, but I want to offer you a job to come work here. I've got a good feeling about this. And, and, uh, he also said, if, if it's a bad idea, we'll know in a few weeks. But here you go. Here's your office. You've got an assistant. You're working on this business. And I was off and running. And that was really my landing at Rogers and Cowan, which was primarily an entertainment firm that did some corporate work that was sort of bleeding, you know, into sort of off of entertainment into the corporate versus, you know, traditional corporate work. Um, I sort of got this exposure to uh, the power of entertainment and, and what, and I learned a lot there, and um, but that really seeded it for me, that there was an opportunity that Rajin Khan was just sort of like playing around the edges uh, in no disrespect because they were leading. But I felt like there was a huge opportunity to really do it right. If I could create a company that focused on communications and marketing, I uh, had an idea about doing influencer work back then pre internet being commercialized. So this is, you know, early influencer work. Um, I really felt like if I could build a company from the ground up versus an entertainment company that's trying to do corporate or corporate firm trying to do something else, if we could really create that foundation for which neither one is more important and it's all about collaborating and working together, maybe we could create something special. And uh, I met an amazing guy in Howard. We had met through uh, on a mutual project we were working on, and Brad Caffarelli was a friend of both of ours, which we didn't know uh, about each other. And um, we seeded this almost back-of-the-envelope type of business model, but everyone was in on it, and we, we hit the ground running, and we hit it hard in early 90, and we grew fast. And like, before the end of the decade, we were definitely the largest in L.A. for any category, and on the map nationally with their L.A. and New York presence. And we really were doing, uh, which was sort of different, uh, we, were, we were very, very deep in entertainment and, and the corporate work, as we would say back then, uh, or brands. And uh, we were well on our way doing marketing, which was always 
a great way to uh, extend your business and a great way to, to drive greater revenue. So we would do things like event production and influencer work and, um, and uh, product placement, product integration deals. We work with, with uh, you know, studios. And uh, it, was very, it, was, it was a very multidimensional approach. And even though earned media was certainly at the heart of it and understanding how to tell a good story, uh, that really was, that was really my, you know, my beginnings. And I saw, once I saw the power of it, like I do for everything, um, I study the heck out of it. And I really take a look at business models and look at trends. I really try and hover as high as I can, 30,000 feet, 50,000 feet to really understand the implications and try to apply that to make the best business possible. So while we're all in, in an industry it's great to look to the right or the left. I'm really, really trying to figure out how do I get out in front uh, and do what's best for our organization and for our clients. So in essence, I mean, and I, I say this with no disrespect about Rogers and Callan. They were certainly a leader. Uh, but they were, uh, as I recall, they were essentially, you know, press agents. And uh, you took it uh, yeah. many steps uh, yes. forward in, into the future, which is something you're doing right now with the new company you've formed, which we'll, we'll talk about in just a few moments. But getting sure. back, you know, to let's say the, the the vision you had, and obviously it appears that you do have uh, a vision about uh, what things should look like going forward and how can they best work for clients, uh, given your, your your early grounding in this company and as well as the your current one. Uh, you obviously saw a lot about the role of public relations uh, using it generally and how it can be of greater value to clients. Uh, did you see this early on, you know, when you started your job at Rogers and Cowan? You indicated, yeah. you know, that uh, yeah. you looked at what they were doing and you said to yourself, uh, I can take this in another direction. Yeah. I uh, Well, overall, from, the, from an industry point of view, we all know that, that advertising has been celebrated. We, we've all seen Mad Men, and uh, we've, you know, we've heard the great and seen the great stories of the amazing early innovation in, in advertising. And, and when I was thinking about my own career and graduating in the later '80s, you know, Jay Shy Day was really the it the it advertising agency. And so my my belief on public relations was that perhaps if I could get into that industry, that that would be uh, sort of an early uh, an early move for an industry that perhaps will have greater days ahead uh, versus advertising, which was just, even though PR had been around, advertising had been so celebrated and there was so much money and influence. I, I really thought with public relations that there would be room to roam, you know, um, Public relations is a, is a, you know, in a strange kind of way, it's, it is an industry uh, term. Uh, but if you ask people to talk about it, uh, everyone kind of has their own definition for it. And certainly in the area of communications, they fall back to quote unquote earned media. But I always felt that there was an opportunity to really um, to broaden what public relations, you know, could mean and. You know, while, as I said before, I was really focused on my own organization, if we were going to be um, tracked in a PR trade or if people were going to look at our standing in the PR industry, it was fine. Uh, I just really wanted to make a great company, and I felt that a combination of marketing and communications uh, was the way to go. And 
And I always felt that the interesting thing about PR professionals is that they understand narrative. They understand storytelling, right? And not to say that, you know, advertising doesn't, uh, but, but, but when you're in the field that we're in, you do need to be able to understand the impact you're going to make on uh, a, a consumer. Um, and they're smart enough to know the difference between paid and not paid. So you really need to, you know, earn their trust. And, and if you can be effective with communications, you're going to probably get even steeper in, or deeper into the collective consciousness of, of consumers. So I was really fascinated about that and felt that there was a great, you know, a great amount of, of um, uh, you know, great canvas there uh, to really be uh, influential with our clients in impacting and influencing consumers to behave a certain way. So, Michael, you, you had the good fortune of getting into an area that uh, uh, consumed your career for a number of years, and that is the entertainment world. Um, were you in any way starstruck, uh, given, you know, I'm sure the personalities that you have met, you know, who are household names to, uh, to, to many of us, uh, how did that work? I, you know, career? yeah, I have, I've had the pleasure of, yeah, I've had the pleasure of working with some incredibly talented people in, in front of the camera, behind the camera. Um, and I've worked with people, um, in their core business, uh, uh, in, in their philanthropic, uh, interest in, uh, philanthropy, uh, in, in, in business development on, on other businesses. Um, so I've had all different types of interactions and, you know, it's, I guess we've, we've all had our fun times and, um, it is interesting sometimes walking to the airport back in the day or sitting, breaking bread with someone and having people look at you and not because they cared about me. They're just wondering who's this guy, this regular Joe with this, you know, actor or actress or model, whoever, um, but I, I really didn't, to be honest. I grew up such a sports junkie that I was more starstruck about um, uh, sports personalities. But um, for me, it was it was really just the job, and um, and uh, it just what was it was what I was doing. You know, it was, it was just my job. So what's the what's the difference uh, between entertainment PR today and when you first got into it? Are there any substantial differences? Wow. Obviously, media yeah. have changed and outlets have changed sure. and, and yeah. gone. Well, on a macro level, just in our world today, we, we really have gone in, in uh, the last, you know, when you think about it, sort of pre-internet, um, or pre-internet being commercialized in the mid-90s, we really were just a push society in terms of those those from the media being able to push out whatever type of content or information they wanted to, uh, to consumers, uh, to, to a, a much different place where we now struggle between the push and the pull. Pull seems to be winning now with people having technology to be able to pull in or curate what they want to receive. Um, so when you think back in the old way of entertainment and this idea, again, of push-pull, you, you really have the opportunity to kind of craft your image and, and work with your client in a way that was best, uh, most flattering and most controlling. And back then, there was not as much media. And because the media behaved differently uh, and they wanted access, um, you could do things like exclusives or you could, you know, better define 
how you wanted to conduct an interview or how you might want to roll out a campaign. And, um, and, and I would never class myself as a celebrity publicist, but certainly back in the heyday, um, in modern day publicity, sort of the Pat Kingsley era, the, those, those celebrity publicists wielded a lot of power because those media outlets didn't want the access because they knew that consumers would run to get that content. And they had to they had to play ball to a certain degree, and um, and and that uh, that really sort of started to change with the advent of of uh, you know the internet being commercialized and access of information just so readily available to people, and also the power of individuals to be able to um, you know have a larger voice certainly. Um, or for an everyday consumer to be able to actually begin to tell their own stories and begin to share information. Um, and we know how much social media and share, the sharing of information is so, such a dominant platform today. So um, it's, a different, it's a different game today for sure. But the flip side is you've got more tools at your disposal. So if you're representing a celebrity today, you do have the ability to um, control because now you can establish – a website to tell your story. Uh, you can actually create um, a YouTube channel so you can you can throw uh, video content on a great platform, or you have the ability to do your own social media channel. You can decide that you want to do something on Instagram to tell your story, and you have the ability to to look at affinity groups or um, you know really um, get get attention using a platform like a Facebook. So there are a lot more tools now if you're a celebrity or high profile that are at your disposal, uh, but you do have to recognize now that you're in this era of push-pull, so you can't just push stuff out and expect that you're going to get exactly what you want by way of image shaping and amplification. So Michael, um, when you were with the Rogers account, you had, a, you had a vision which you just described about what you saw mm-hmm. to be the future. Mm-hmm of entertainment mm-hmm. PR merged with other uh, media tools and marketing and communications tools and branding mm-hmm. and what have you. Um, and uh, you formed a company that was immediately successful, uh, BNC. Uh, and then mm-hmm. you were the architect behind uh, what at that time one of the, was one of the most influential mergers, uh, historic yes. merger with the firm and, uh, and PMK uh, in the fall of 2009. Uh, and then you left uh, there to form Acceleration. Uh, a couple of questions uh, uh, concerned with that. Uh, mm-hmm. Couldn't you have done the same type of work uh, at the merged outfit since you know you were a co-CEO that you're now doing? Acceler- you're doing with Acceleration. What was your reason for actually leaving uh, that company and then uh, forming your own? Uh, is something you couldn't do back then? Yeah. Wow. Great, great two questions. Well, first off, uh, is short answer is no. I wouldn't have been able to do what I had envisioned doing with the uh, with the birth of ACC at my old firm or at IPG. Um, secondly, um, you know, the why part uh, was very personally driven for me. Um, you know, we always, we always, uh, when there's a tendency for people to always say, "Oh, it's, 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 it's business. It's not personal." But I do believe that 
that you know the personal drive the business, right? The decisions we make as uh, in our business lives uh, are, are very personally driven. You may calculate it, or you may be business-like in your analysis, but it's personally driven, personally biased, personally motivated. Yeah, I had one of those situations where I had my second of my two kids going off to college in the spring of 17. And for the first time in my life, it just had me thinking about um, the future. There's nothing like grown kids to make you feel old. <laughs> you know, some of my youngest feeling friends are those that have young kids or no kids. Um, so I, I started to think about this, this idea of time. Uh, not so, not, not so much about my time, but the idea of how much time I had in my day. So having the, um, you know, having having my son leave the house now meant that that I was literally not going to be rushing home, and there weren't going to be as many family dinners and uh, and 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 pressures to be out uh, on the road uh, at football games watching my son. Uh, you know, all the, all the activities that normal parents have. And so it really started with this idea of time and, and what was I going to do with my time? And then how was I going to really make it count? And, and I, 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 I'm a hyper focused on, on education and, and, and continue to um, seek opportunities to get educated formally and informally. But um, I, I really started to think about as I've done previous previously um, you know, in the early nineties and then the 2000 and 2009, 10 with the, with the, with the merger, I'm constantly looking at where markets are going. And I just had had a, um, not just a feeling, but I, I really analyzed it really was looking at three things that made me think about ACC. Number one was where consumers were, what's happening consumerism. And it became clear to me that, uh, there really is no such thing as mass marketing now. There is a mass market if you've got a portfolio company that reaches and that develops brands or products that reaches 14-year-olds to 84-year-olds. You're really focused on how you can really hyper-segment, um, how you can do hyper-segment marketing. So I believe that, that, that really for mass markets or what used to be considered mass market, you're really looking at aggregate, aggregation of hyper-segmentation. So now you've got to somehow, when you develop products that could be consumed or bought, enjoyed by many, you now need to be able to come up with a halo idea and figure out how to say it maybe four or five different ways across those psycho and demographics and then figure out how you're going to channel those messages to each segmentation. So it's very complicated. Uh, certainly made a little easier with technology, but it's still very complicated, very expensive, a uh, lot of room to roam, and it was not likely to, to get easier. So that was one thing that I uh, that hit me in 2017, 2018. Two, uh, the more conversations I was having with my clients, the more I kept hearing these repeated mantras over and over. I'm worried about speed to market. I'm worried about the rate of change. Uh, I'm worried about um, uh, integration and how I'm telling my story. And then I was also hearing. Things are getting really expensive. I want more efficiencies. I don't want big. Um, so those were some of the, the themes that I was hearing from clients that I would classify as sort of wants and needs. And then the third thing that struck me was when I looked across the spectrum of advertising, marketing, 
communications, media. It was, um, you know, if you were to sort of throw it up on a whiteboard, which I do on a lot of things, um, it really looked like uh, a, a four-quadrant um, landscape of, of resources. You had the large holding companies that were pretty much an invention of the 20th century. Those are the the stalwarts of the business today, the, the entities that still control the market share, the Omnicoms, the Publicis, the IPGs, Gensus, they're still there and still controlling. And massive, massive portfolios of companies. And then you have also sort of on the right side of the equation, these massive business consulting firms, Accenture, you know, uh, PwC, McKinsey, all these companies that um, really have grown in the last 20 years and decided at some point, we're going to get into the marketing, media, advertising business. So you really have sort of uh, just to pull for a little uh, um, entertainment, uh, uh, pull from the entertainment industry, you kind of have like Godzilla versus King Kong going on there. And the holding companies have really spent crazily in data and analytics, really focusing on, on as much as they can on science. Their old models were really built on the backs of media and creative and, and making a lot of money on media, which we know today is, is commoditized. And then you've got uh, the business consulting firms that are um, spending and still spending money on media and creative. You know, they're business consultants, and they figure, okay, well, we'll just conquer this other category. So you have that going on. You, you've got that sort of big battle going on, but you've got to the left side of the equation, you've got uh, agencies, many of whom are ad agencies, uh, many of whom are populating the holding companies, but you've got these agencies nonetheless that used to sell you one thing, like, oh, we do, we do advertising, so we do creative, we do media, and they make great money, great margin. And now these companies, especially the older they get, they, they tell you that they do five, six, seven, eight things. And and uh, I saw that as, uh, again, a legacy thing. And then I found that there's a, a, an incredible number, and to this day, it's, it, it's crazy how much is, is going on, this massive proliferation of, of new agencies that are springing up that are highly specialized. A lot of talented people creating great, talented companies, and many of, many of, you know, many of which are, are single specialized uh, service offerings. So it didn't take a, for me, it was sort of a, just right there. It just struck me as just very obvious that I knew what the clients wanted and didn't want. I see today uh, the legacy issues uh, that exist and, and not now further complicated by COVID because now you've got quote unquote real estate legacy issues, but you've got legacy issues with companies. You have um, multi faceted agencies that sell you sell the clients several uh, several capabilities and I felt like there was a great opportunity to build a new model on big into organizational design so if you go on my website or you look at my logo you see it's very circular we're very purposeful in our language we say community we don't say network we don't say group um, we talk about being a doing company not a holding company holding is very passive and most of the holding companies are financial constructs Clients don't necessarily go and want to hang out with the holding companies. They want to they want to find agencies. They get introduced to agencies or networks. So we felt like there was an opportunity to really simplify the model, really focus on the ability to be nimble 
be efficient, speed for client, and um, the idea is that we would go out and buy uh, or build, uh, and in some cases maybe partner with specialized resources and build an all-star team of, of companies and provide a 360 offering where clients could get what they need, either a one-off or maybe they could come to our advisory group first and we could build either bespoke or we could create an integrated offering, one MSA, one dashboard, um, a very uncomplicated, streamlined offering of, of services. And, um, and that really is the purpose of ACC. It's all about delivering efficiency, integration, best in class at this accelerated pace and utilizing pure play companies in marketing, media, and communications, not companies that will sell you, you know, well, you like what we've got here. You should see this other thing that we have here. We're not, we're not doing that. We're, we're putting people in the room and saying, this is what we've got. This is our best. And we'd love to work with you. And we're agnostic. We don't care. If you go to a holding company, they're going to lean into networks. They're going to lean into big media. They're going to take care of the biggest. With our company, we just want to help the client solve. We don't care where they come and join us in the community. Just come and join us. And um, the last thing I'll say about this is you hear a lot of people talk about collaboration. It's a real challenge at the holding companies, I will say, for obvious reasons. For us, you can't build collaboration without trust, and you don't build trust without telling your agencies to come into your, into your community that, hey, you're going to be our go-to for communications. You're going to be our go-to for analytics. You're going to be our go-to for brand experiences that builds trust you know and that builds teamwork and i'm go back to the sports analogy if you build a basketball team you're not going to win if you if you've got a starting five that consists of five guys to play center someone's got to be the point card someone's got to be a shooter someone's got to be a rebounder so on and so forth so that's really what we're trying to do Art, is, is build a outstanding team of companies and we're trying to support it by doing all the right things around that and really at the core, really surround the clients with what they want to need. And we think, we think we know what they want to need. Well, Michael, you know, modesty aside, you, you, you already were a star at your previous uh, company, which, you know, got up to uh, like 300 employees within five years, you know, after uh, yep. PMK and GMC merged and you, you yep. had a uh, thousand, entertainment and fortune 500 clients and some terrific it must have been very difficult i would imagine for you to give all of that up you know i mean the fact that you know the firm you <laughs> yeah. were with was growing you know and accelerating. <laughs> yeah yeah it was uh it was um something i thought about um it, it took it took time just thinking through as we all do thinking about fulfillment and, and happiness and uh, there was that moment where you know, you, you wonder if people are going to take your call or how they're going to be behaving around you when you're not Michael Nyman, Chairman CEO, PMK, BNC. You're Michael Nyman of this company no one's ever heard of. Um, and early days, um, I felt really good. I mean, I was I felt incredible by the amount of um, just uh, um, support and uh, um, just, uh, I guess, love I, I felt from so many friends and business associates and people that I would I would uh, talk to, sort of like, okay, we loved working with you before, and we love what you're doing now, or 
you know, sign me up. I had, you know, lots, you know, old clients and all sorts of folks call me and excited for me and wanting to learn about what I, what I was doing. And, you know, that felt, that felt good. Um, but I needed to do it. I really did need to do it. And I felt like everything that I had done up to that moment had prepared me to do what I'm, what I'm doing now. Um, so it was just, uh, just something that I need to do. I just need to keep moving forward. I'm, I'm, uh, all about, all about that. Uh, I don't like the idea of constant, uh, shampoo, rinse, repeat. It's, that's just not my, that's not my thing. So if, if, when I look back now and it's interesting, I started to track my behaviors and my business decisions. And it seems like I've, sort of have built my my cycles into you know roughly 10-year increments sort of you know um i started out in the in the late 80s but really the bnc era from 90 to 2000 and then the bnc era era at ipg i started a licensing company there and i was involved with global pitches and did all sorts of i was started a sports and entertainment group for IPG. I was vice chair of that. I had my hands in, in, involved in many different things. That, that was a decade of that and then a decade of, uh, or less than a decade of PMK, BNC. But there always sort of seems to be cycles of eight to 10 years and probably not dissimilar when you look at just the economy uh, overall and, and just see there's just natural cycles. And this just became, um, you know, a, uh, a thing that I had to do, but, but again, when I look back, it's it was sort of time. So, Michael, if you look into the crystal ball that's sitting on your desk at the moment, which I assume you do every morning, <laughs> uh, what do you what do you see ten years from now? You know, given this you know this ten uh, uh, year cycle that you described, what, what where do you see yourself mm-hmm. ten years from now? And where, where, where do you well, think you'll be? What do you think you'll be doing? Wow. Uh, well, hopefully. Ten years from now, I'll be, I would say, on the tail end of this current cycle that I'm on relative to what we're doing with ACC, uh, and that will continue to evolve. We've got our core business thesis and business vision, and there's definitely uh, sort of a a part two to it that I don't want to get too far ahead and, and talk about, but I would see myself being sort of on the tail end of that. Um, you know, I'll be in my sixties and, um, I just know that I, for me, um, I just got to keep, keep working. I, I really love working. I love what I do. I, I sort of believe you got to kind of get busy living. And, um, and I even have, um, I've got some friends who have, done quite well who don't necessarily work or work as much now and sometimes I look at them and they seem like they're slowing down so I think there's no reason to not keep working if I'm enjoying myself now how that might evolve and what I might be doing I I suspect to be a little different Um, but but I've got work to do I'm trying to take care of myself and and do right and you know, lean into my family uh, genes. A lot of a lot of old uh, relatives over the years. So I'm hoping uh, to lead a, a healthy, good, long life and get a lot done and and um, and spend good quality time with people I love, my family, and uh, 
So who knows where, where I'm going to be exactly, but I'll be wherever I am. I'm going to be hopefully out in front and working and enjoying. Well, at the very least, you know, however long it takes, uh, uh, ACC will be a considerably larger company with a considerable uh, array of... Yeah, from your lips, Art, that, that is the plan. <laughs> yeah. so, that is the but plan. you have made a number of acquisitions since uh, ACC got started. <clears throat> uh, yeah, we, do you find it difficult yeah. to, to influence those people in, in terms of uh, joining, you know, joining forces with you? Uh, or was, no, you, you know, you, were no. you truly the evangelist that I know you are? in convincing them that their future was with you. Well, um, yeah, I was Rush Chairman back in my days when I was in college in my fraternity. Um, no, I, I um, it's interesting. Um, you know, you don't know how your message, you, you, you don't want to be in an echo chamber and just, just listen to yourself all day long. So that is the big test when you go out and start telling your story and saying, this is what we believe, this is what we're building, uh, and this is, you know, who were this is the, the types of people that were looking to have join us, and 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 here's what that could look like. Um, you know, you don't know how that's going to go until you start getting out there and pitching it, or you hear other people, you know, inside acceleration tell that story. But I I can't say that um, the market has been very supportive. Um, agencies, for the most part, and for the for the folks that we are pursuing, um, they're sort of already arriving at this, you know, with this mindset of, and again, no, no shot against the holding companies because they're the dominant players, but, but we're only not competing with them. So they, these folks might say, you know, we would never sell to a traditional holding company. So they're, they're already sort of self-selecting. And when I sit down with these principals, um, I know I am older than them. Uh, but at the same time, I think I understand their journey. I know what makes them tick. I understand what keeps them up at night. Um, I care about them as individuals. I spend a lot of my time really trying to get to know the, the principles on a personal level. Again, going back to sort of my idea on my belief on personal driving business. Um, and uh, uh, I think that the message from these individuals is Michael gets me. And he's building something new and interesting. And most of these people are principals, founders, they're innovators, and they're building something new, especially in, in you know, the types of companies we're going after. So the appeal of us doing something new or different is actually more appealing or less frightening. What they already know to be out there in the marketplace is actually more frightening or less interesting to them. So I think we've got a combination of certain market conditions, certain prejudices and biases that are out there relative to the industry uh, and about the way the industry works. Um, hopefully we've got good folks at acceleration that are very relatable, very likable, and hopefully uh, a little inspirational and, and ho hopefully smart. Um, I think we've got a good business model and vision. So I think the thesis is, is, is right. And um, we're, basically building this club, if you will, and we're going out to these founders and saying, you know, we want you to join our club. And, oh, by the way, when you do come in our club, we're not going to have – we're not going to go out and try and get another person, another company like you. We're going we're gonna to get someone different. We're going to be diverse in, in, in who we're 
pursuing and and uh, and what kind of resources we're going to be we're going to be providing. So um, so so far so good. You know, COVID's interrupted the flow for everyone, um, but we've but we uh, we've got our our business thesis and uh, we feel feel very good about it. And I think that COVID is only um, I think only has further enhanced a lot of the uh, uh, a lot of the the direction of the industry and where it was already going. Um, although uh, I don't know if this is a, a big scoop, but but I do think that those that have invested in data and analytics, data specifically, um, that's going to be very interesting for the next three to five years when that gets as that gets sorted out, because there is definitely a boomerang effect on that. And there'll be limits to just how much you can do and what you can do with with data. Well, what do you think the uh, current economic climate is like? I mean, obviously, the past year has been, uh, you know, totally abnormal in terms of <clears throat> in terms of where the world as well as the U.S. Uh, you know have been going. Uh, what effect? What what do you think there will be any lingering effects, uh, even if the uh, uh, the pandemic? Uh, disappears yeah. in terms of how people do business? Yeah, I do. I think that uh, you always hear about people that are of the recession generation or, you know, I remember growing up, my parents talking about, um, you know, their parents and how the recession impacted them. So my grandparents. Um, so I, I think we're going to have that. Um, I have a belief uh, about, um the whole sort of um, psychology of, of young people, um, which is a whole other topic, something I would may write a book on later. But um, but I do think that there's going to be certain habits and certain learnings that we all carry forward. And depending on where you are in the population, you know what what your generation is, it's going to have different effects. So if you are, you know, if you are, um, you know, a young person. Uh, uh, millennial, uh, I think it's just going to further cement these these sort of feelings that we have on millennials and their habits, you know, that they're all you know, a little more transient and don't necessarily need to own, they're not going to own a car or care to buy a house. They might want to move from city to city and they're going to really focus on experiences more. That's where they're going to put their money. Um, so the idea of even living in an apartment where there's more communal uh, engagement, um, you know, going to music festivals. I think that's only going to further cement. I think there's going to be a huge bounce back to attack life for that generation. Just can't not wait to go and, and be in real life. Um, so I think, I think that further cements them. I think if you're 35 years old and you started a family and you got hit by COVID with uh, and impacted on your business, I think that's going to set you back. You know, the 35 or 40 year old may have a little more of a conservative attitude about life and how they spend their money and how they save. I think there's a lot of older people who are going to be over age of 75 or 80. I don't know for sure, but they've been scared to death by everything going on with COVID. And, and I'm hoping that, you know, and I and I unfortunately have some people that I lost in that generation during COVID, but I'm hoping that those, when we get on the other side, that they can really attack life 
and and not you know um, you know to not shut it down, but to really get after it and enjoy what time we we have. So I think every generation is going to take away something different. I think that we're going to go on as a society with extra emphasis on hygiene. Um, and uh, mask may stay with us for those who, if we're traveling or for, if we don't feel so well. I think people are self are going to self-select out on a lot of occasions. It used to be the road warrior would be sick on the plane. We'd all be annoyed as we're flying and the guy in the back is coughing. Uh, I think we're going to see less behavior like that because people are not going to want to be, um, they're not going to want to stand out. They're going to feel very conscious about how they're coming across in public. Am I sickly or not? So I do think there's going to be a lot. We'll go to malls. We'll go to places. We're just going to see more touchless. We're going to see more hygiene locations to wash hands and get, you know, and get out, um, you know, some some gel and uh, sanitizer. Uh, so, yeah, we will move on with, with all of this. So, Michael, I have um, just a couple of final questions, and I, I really thank you for your insights. Um, and your vision in terms of where where the uh, consuming public is going and the and the economy is going uh, and where uh, acceleration itself is going. Um, how do you describe yourself as as a as a manager? Are you a delegator? You know, are you a uh, 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 looking over your shoulder type of manager? How, how would you describe your style? That's obviously made you very successful. Mm. Well, uh, it's interesting. Larry Weber was one of my early mentors. So Larry was one who convinced me to join IPG, and he's written a couple books, if I'm not mistaken, maybe two or three books. And he wrote a great book, I think, called The Provocateur, about um, really about leadership. And I studied a lot uh, uh, around leadership. Um, so, you know, some of the traditional um, best thought leadership people out there, from everyone from Peter Drucker to – uh, um, Jack Welch to um, uh, um, uh, uh, Andy Andy Grove, uh, the uh, founder of Intel. So, and I'm fascinated by the subject matter and, and focused on that with my YPO endeavors and Harvard Business School and all sorts of stuff. But I I try to be more of a community builder versus a general. And in doing being sort of this community builder, I, I do need to. Uh, keep an open mind, and I need to be comfortable sort of going out to the outer edges and, and, and letting uh, different thinking and, and people with different skill sets um, uh, help move me and move us as a group. Uh, but at the same time, you know, I've got – it's sort of like a brand. You know, you hear brands say, well, we're going to let the consumer take us on that journey. I don't buy off on that completely, so I'm not going to just go – go to any one spot. So it is that delicate dance of mapping a course or architecting something and then being able to be nimble enough to, to recognize how you need to adapt, uh, overcome or take advantage of certain, of certain opportunities. But I think that that sort of tension between the two favors more community oriented, uh, um, a more community-oriented leadership style versus a general. I'm just not that. I'm not comfortable being that, uh, being that guy, and or and or too insecure. Could be a middle child syndrome, or could be any number of things. But I'm constantly working as if, um, you know, that I'm working from behind, and I need to work that much harder 
uh, to get to where I need to get to. So um, I'm definitely, you know, if you look at thematics, I definitely want to be the underdog guy. I don't need to be picked as the favorite. I want to be the underdog. I have one final question for you, Michael. Um, and that is, uh, you know, we've discussed a lot about business and your views about, uh, you know, where, you know, where public relations and branding and so on are going, you know, and the types of uh, services that uh, clients, uh, you know, fully expect and anticipate these days. Um, what do you like as a person? Uh, your father, your friend, your family member. Um, you've got hobbies. Um, Give me a give me a riff on what how you characterize yourself as as a person outside of business. Well, I guess I'm um, focused on uh, betterment. So I'm always trying to better myself. Uh, it's a constant state of learning, um, of refinement, of pursuit. Um, my passion is mostly around my my family and my friends. Um, I'm passionate about health and uh, and athletics, sports. Um, um, those would be my drivers. I'm uh, in in this particular instance, certainly with my business, I'm hyper passionate about my business and uh, really excited about it. And um, you know, I think those would be some of the terms that I would use. Uh, to describe me, always, you know, always working hard. I'm big on effort. I'm big on refining skills or developing skills. I'm never short on uh, or, or never uh, scared to ask someone for an opinion or for help. I've, I've been enriched. My life's been enriched. I have some of the greatest friends in the world, many of whom are, uh, I, you know, are lifelong and advisors, people that I enormously respect. And uh, so I feel I feel like I've been uh, that I've, I've been gifted. So um, don't spend a lot of time thinking about it. It's a great question, but but I guess that's my it's uh, my response. You've answered. You've definitely answered it. So Michael Nyman, who is the founder and CEO of Acceleration Community of Companies, on behalf of our PR Masters podcast listeners. I thank you very much for joining us today and for giving us some insights as into your new business and your views about where uh, business generally and certainly the public relations, marketing, and communications industries are headed. Uh, I wish you the best of success, as do our listeners, uh, uh, with uh, your new company, and I know we'll be hearing a lot more from you in the weeks and months and years to come. So thanks very much for joining us, Michael. Thank you so much, Art. I really appreciate it. Really, really do. Thank you. Have a good day. And thank you, our listeners of PR Masters Podcast, for tuning in to another of the Stevens Group PR Masters Podcast series. And as I always say, until next time, I'm Art Stevens, wishing you all the very best. <laughs>